This episode is brought to you by the George Washington University Milken School of Public Health. My name's Megan Burton, your host, and this is The Co-op. Hope you like it. What's up, everyone, and how are y'all doing? I would like to welcome you back to the third episode of The Co-op, and this episode is all about selecting your coaching style. For those of you who have been asking, why is this podcast called The Co-op? This is the episode for you, because today I will be answering that very question. Again, my name is Megan Burton, your host, and let's get into it. Selecting a coaching style is the second most important aspect of coaching. This will help you determine which tactical and technical skills to teach, how you will teach them, which methods to use when it comes to disciplining your athletes, and what role you give athletes in the decision-making process. Now, there are three coaching styles you can choose from. One, command style. Two, submissive style and three, cooperative style. Most coaches lean towards one of these coaching styles. To get into it, I'm gonna start with the command style. This style of coaching adapts more of the traditional approach of a very controlling style over the team. If you choose this coaching style, you will end up being the one that makes all of the decisions for the team because you believe you have all of the knowledge and education So it's your job to tell the athletes what to do. The command style of coaching runs the team in a very tightly knit way, and they have the final say most of the time. The athletes should listen, absorb, and comply to the coach's demands. The athletes should never question how things are run. A perfect example of this is Herb Brooks. Herb Brooks was one of the best known command coaches. He was the USA men's Olympic ice hockey team head coach in 1980 when they won an Olympic gold medal in Lake Placid, New York. He was known by his players as, quote, a hard ass, end quote, and most of the team disliked him. While his ways were somewhat harsh and gritty, the entire team respected him because he cared a lot about them and about the sport. The next style I'll be getting into is the submissive style of coaching. This style of coaching is very laid back. If you are looking to becoming a submissive style coach, you might want to look into another profession, such as babysitting. This kind of coach makes as few decisions as possible and is more like a babysitter. They give a lot of control to their players and the other coaching staff members, if there are any. They provide little to no instruction or guidance to their athletes, and they rarely resolve conflicts only the ones they absolutely need to. Many choose the style due to the lack of confidence or competence, due to the inability or unwillingness to properly prepare, or sometimes because they believe it's best for their athletes. But here's where I tell you that's false. There are rarely any submissive coaches that are successful. I don't have a single example for you. If winning or helping young people develop are either of your primary objectives, as we found out in the last episode, this style isn't for you. Some submissive coaches might have fun, but usually it turns into chaotic fun pretty quickly, our third objective. 
But there is one good example of this kind of coach that you can see in Tom Hanks' role in A League of Their Own. In this movie, he is coaching the first women's baseball team while the men were off fighting in World War II. He shows his submissive style at the beginning of the movie when he shows up to practice sometimes drunk, taking the whole thing as a joke. He's unwilling to prepare anything for the team because he could care less. He would not speak to the entire team at games, and sometimes the players had to do the work themselves. If this is the kind of coach you would like to be, I would suggest another profession because most of the time, these coaches don't have very much fun within this field. The final coaching style, and my favorite, is the cooperative style. This style is the reason I named this podcast The Co-op. It is the best and most successful coaching style. Not only does the style promote the development of athletes first, but is also typically the, has the best outcomes. Some of the best coaches in sport currently are cooperative coaches, including Don Staley, current women's head coach for basketball at South Carolina, and Mike Coach K. Kronowski, current Duke head men's basketball coach. They all recognize their responsibility to lead, but they also give their players opportunity to as well, something command coaches would disagree with. It is called the cooperative coaching style because coaches cooperate with their athletes by sharing the decision-making process. Teaching is key within the style. These coaches teach technical and tactical skills, but also life lessons. Many coaches participate in a concept called transformative learning, meaning they want their athletes to learn from them, but they also are learning from their athletes at the same time. Cooperative coaches believe that learning goes both ways and that coaches can learn a lot from their athletes that will make them more successful. The perfect example of this is Coach K. Coach K is the current head men's basketball coach at Duke University who owns an 1,018 to 310 record in his 40 years of coaching. Crazy, right? The one thing Coach K focuses on, and something many other successful coaches do as well, is recruiting athletes with character and continuing to build that part of them throughout their life with him. He uses basketball to teach his players life lessons, allowing all of his athletes the opportunity to lead and encouraging all of them to speak up during practices. So now that we've gone over the three coaching styles, think to yourself, which one do you think is yours? But first, before I help you answer that question, let's evaluate these coaching styles. The command style was used more in the past, but it's still sometimes used today. Many coaches who are first starting out lean towards this style of coaching because they model it after their previous coaches. But today's athletes are encouraged to ask why, because they want to be co-creators in their athletic experience. Knowing yourself and what you want is a huge part of getting to know your coaching style. So here it is, some multiple choice questions you should ask yourself to get to know your coaching style. So a little background on these questions, I'm going to ask nine questions. A will always be the command style, B will always be the cooperative style, 
and C will always be the submissive style. At the end, you will tally up all the A's you have, all of the B's you have, and all of the C's you have to see where your coaching style will lie. So are you ready? Okay, let's start with the first question. What is your philosophy? Remember that first episode that we went over? A, is it win-centered? B, is it athlete-centered? Or C, is it neither? Question number two. What are your objectives? Remember the last episode? A, is it task-oriented or directed towards winning? B, is it social and task-oriented, directed towards winning and character building? Or C, is it none? Question three. Who do you think has a role in the decision-making process? A, only coaches. B, both coaches and athletes. Or C, only athletes. Question four. What communication style do you lean towards? A, telling. So close communication. B, telling, asking, and listening. AKA open communication. Or C, just listening. AKA none of the above. Question five. How much communication do you want to develop among your athletes? A, little to none. B, a lot. Or C, none. Who defines winning on your team? Question six. A, you. B, you and your athletes. Or C, your athletes. Question seven. How much trust do you place in your athletes? A, little to no trust. B, a lot of trust. Or C, trust is non-existent. Eight, how often do you motivate your athletes? A, sometimes. B, all the time. Or C, never. And finally, the ninth and final question. I know you guys have been waiting for this. How is your training structured? A, is it inflexible? B, is it flexible? Or C, is it neither? Answer these questions for yourself to better understand where your coaching style lies. If you answered all A's, you're probably leaning towards more of a command style. All B's, a more cooperative style. All C's, let's hope that isn't the case. But if you find yourself with a mix of answers, that is okay too. You should try to find a balance between all. But when thinking about it, you need to remember that the team cannot have a vote in every decision that is made. You as a coach should guide and instruct when it is needed and let your athletes make decisions and assume responsibility when it is appropriate. Doing so will help build them as athletes and build them as people, allowing them to boost their self-esteem and motivation, helping them continue an athletic career of self-fulfillment. But wait, before you click off, 
there are three other aspects to look at when trying to develop a coaching style. Number one, knowledge of the sport. Number two, motivation. And number three, empathy. Your knowledge of the sport, its techniques, strategies, and rules will earn you great respect and credibility from your athletes. They will value you and the experience you have had in the sport and trust you and your teachings of how to behave on and off the field. But you can have all the knowledge in the world. However, if you aren't motivated enough to teach and coach your athletes all you know, it means nothing. Be motivated enough to take the time to work with your athletes on all skills in your sport so they can perform better on and off the field. Successful coaches also need to understand how to best motivate their athletes, a topic we will discuss in episode five of this podcast. On to empathy. As defined by the Special Olympics Coaching Principles Guide, quote, empathy is the ability to readily understand your athletes by being aware of their feelings, thoughts, and emotions, and how they can impact the athlete's performance, and conveying your sensitivity to them. Take the time to know your athletes, every single one of them. What makes them happy, what makes them angry, what motivates them, etc. Remember that they are human too, not just athletes. Knowing your objectives and how you will coach, aka your coaching style, are two questions that we've answered in the last two episodes that will help you build your coaching philosophy. But to give you a little more insight on coaching style, I wanted to bring a coach that has many years of coaching under his belt in high school swimming. So without further ado, here's Tim Johnson. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the podcast. Hey. Thank you so much for being on. So I know I know a little about you, but I'm not sure if the listeners will. So I want you to start by first telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, So I am a high school teacher at a public school in the suburbs of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I also coach the, I'm I'm currently the head coach of Trinity Episcopal uh, School, which is a private school in, in the city of Richmond. I guess I'm, I think I'm my, I'm in my eighth, I just completed my eighth season with the team. And I believe that would have been my third, third years head coach. Previously to that, it was five years as an assistant on the, on the program. We're with the program. And then prior to that, I'd been the head coach of a much smaller private Christian school um, in Chesterfield County, Richmond Christian school where I'd worked for that. And then uh, other coaching experience uh, I've been working with, you know, as a head coach working with uh, summer league teams in the Richmond area, going back as far as 2008, I'd done a three-year stint as a varsity high school girls soccer coach. Um, So that's kind of my experience from coaching level. My experience from player perspective, uh, I was like a soccer kid growing up. I did, you know, soccer was my sport. Um, I played that in, in the winter, or I should say fall and spring. Winter, we really didn't have anything. We didn't have the indoor facilities like you have now. Um, and I did summer league swim team. It was kind of, you started when I was seven or eight years old and it was something to keep us active. My mom kicked us out of the house at seven 30 in the morning to go to practice. Yeah. We did summer league and stayed at the pool all day. 
and came home, you know, at 5.30 when she called the table to tell us to come home. So that's kind of, you know, my experience with athletics in a nutshell. Yeah, no, um, that's actually really great. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to speak with you on this topic, because you have so much experience with a wide variety of athletes um, in the age group that I'm trying to tackle and for the coaching population that I'm trying to tackle. Mm -hmm. um, so in today's topic, we spoke about selecting a coaching style and a little bit about leadership as well. And as stated in the episode, there are three different styles, command, cooperative, and submissive. Within each of the different styles, there are different primary objectives, communication styles, and roles in leadership. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you some questions to see where your coaching style lies. Okay. So um, for my first question, um, there are several uh, objectives, three, um, and I was wondering what your primary objective is. Um, and you can also rank these one to three. Okay. So um, the first one is to win. The right. second one is to help young people develop physically, psychologically, and socially. And then the third one is to help young people have fun. So I was wondering um, if you could rank those three, like one being your most important and then three being your least, I guess. Um, I'm going to use kind of my current example being the Trinity coach. I really think, you know, our first goal is to win. It is one of the landmark programs in the state. You know, the, the boys team won two titles. I mean, for all the, the talent we've had, the girls probably should have had, you know, eight or nine titles by now. <laughs> yeah. You know, unfortunately, you know, we still haven't, you know, broken through that obstacle yet. Um, and then really from there, it's really to develop the kids. That's probably a close second. You're really trying to develop them as human beings because, you know, other than a few years, we had, a, we definitely had kind of a, a, a heyday, you know, in, I would say from my first years with the program till about 2017, 2018, mm -hmm. where we were really producing a lot of top level. Well, I shouldn't say producing the USA programs and swimming really kind of produce it. We, we kind of push the kids, you know, over the top and really, you know, make them competitors and champions. Um, you know, it, you're, you're trying to develop, um, you know, really good kids that, that understand because a lot of them don't go on to swim. Even yeah. some of our top level kids, you know, uh, we had some really, really good kids that you swam with where they could have easily gone on to a division one program but for them, swimming wasn't the end all be all to what they were looking to do. Swimming was, yeah. swimming was something they were interested in, but they weren't looking to go to college to swim. Um, and no, yeah, definitely. You have a lot of kids where they, they love the team. They love the camaraderie, the, the fun they have with the team. And so you're really looking to use that as a real kind of training and learning opportunity for them to learn about themselves, learning how to work with others, really learning how to push themselves and excel in ways that that they're not going to find in, you know, a classroom environment. They're not going to find in uh, a work environment or any other sort of social environment. Um, you know, so you're really trying to develop them and give them lessons that they can, you know, look back on as they go into college and get older. Uh, that they develop, you know, habits of 
you know, personal discipline, commitment to a cause that's greater than the, to themselves and learning really how to push themselves and test their boundaries and really give things their, their all. So yeah, that would be number two. And then three, of course, you're going to have fun. I, the reason, yeah. you know, we're all looking to have fun, but I think at the end of the day, uh, if, if you're not winning, if you're not developing, if you're not progressing, you're just not going to have fun. Uh, I've come yeah. where, you know, the environment was fun, fun, fun was what the, you know, and this goes in the summer league. Summer league is definitely one of those things. They want the kids to have fun, but I've noticed where they made fun, the priority to what was happening and the teams just don't really last. Um, there's yeah. a lack of commitment to it. And then people get frustrated. Well, I'm not getting any better. Well, you're not committed to it. You're not coming to practice and training. Uh, yeah. you're, you're cutting corners you're sitting out, you're running the bathroom, you're hiding under the lane lines, what you name it. Yeah. Um, you know, if you make fun, the, the, the main priority, you know, whenever things aren't fun, you know, they're going to back away and not want to participate. Um, and in the whole thing falls apart. Um, you know, kids are, are genuinely going to have fun when they're winning, when they're excelling, when they're getting better. Yeah. You know, no. And I can definitely agree with that. Things. I can definitely agree with that, like being a part of your team and like seeing the way you've coached. Um, I do think that winning is like one of the main priorities for you, but I've also seen you develop um, and help young people develop physically, socially, and psychologically as well. Um, especially with talking about discipline and everything that you said there. I feel like that's also like, you have a combination of all three um, because Trinity is also fun even though it's hard work um, coming from experience. Right. Yeah. So how do you see your role as a leader on the team? You know, I think the big thing that I see is, you know, with being a leader is, um, you know, you're, you're an example to the kids. I'm not asking kids to do things that I wouldn't do or things that I have done. Um, I'm not doing things out of a sense of, I'm, I'm in charge, therefore I get to dictate what you do. Mm -hmm. Anytime I'm in a commanding environment, it is, it is a situation of here is the standard and here are the goals you set for yourself. And if you're going to achieve those things and meet those standards and those goals, right, then when you're not, I'm, I'm not going to let you slack off. I'm going to hold you to the standard. Yeah. Um, you know, you see a lot, you know, <clears throat> especially with seniors, um, you know, we had, we had a situation of, you know, kids just, they get to their senior year and, you know, they're not where they thought, they're not where they thought they would be at the end of, you know, four years with the program and mm -hmm. I back out, they might, they might've been somebody that was doing, you know, five pool practices a week and lifting. And now they kind of try to slip under the radar. Oh, I've got this going on. I've got to study for this. I've got to study for that. Yeah. And, you know, you're really trying to tell them, like, what do you want from this? Uh, if your goal is just to, like, say you did this and to have just to complete the final season, you know, then don't tell me at the same time your goal is to make a state cut, is to go to, you know, be, you know, on the A relay or to, you know, make it into finals at state if you're not going to put in the time. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's tough. Right. You know, as a soccer player, to me, there was always a lot more activity, a lot more kind of engagement that goes on in a soccer practice that goes on in a you know, swim practice. A soccer game is 90 minutes. 
the amount of practice time compared to the amount of competition time is relatively, you know, you know, from a ratio is it's a bigger ratio uh, than say you look at swimming. We spend, you know, on average, we're doing about 3000 meters of practice five days a week yes. to hop in the pool and swim a 25 second race. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's really hard to keep kids engaged and, you know, it, it does require kind of a forceful approach to keep them engaged and moving and, and uh, help them to understand that, you know, you might see yourself as getting that extra five seconds rest on this particular set here, but that, mm-hmm. that extra rest isn't, isn't making you better because, you know, when you get into your race, it's a very short race and there's very small, there's, there's a very small room for error. And yeah. when you don't train yourself here, you're going to make a silly mistake in the pool that's going to cost you big time. Um, you look at, you know, take the 50 free, for example. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, one year, the 50 free, the difference between a kid that was the top seed and the kid that made the last spot in console finals was 1.2 seconds. Okay. And so, you know, over an entire season, there are a lot of times in practice where you cut corners and make little mistakes here and there that, you know, you make a half a mistake half a second mistake here or there, you know, later on, it's going to cost you big time. Um, and so it's trying to stress that to kids and keep them focused, you know, because swimming is one of those things. It's, it's a lot of work for this very small window of performance. You got to keep them focused um, on, you know, seeing, seeing what's ahead, seeing what the goal is. We always say, you know, we might not win state every year, but our goal every year is to go into state and outperform our own expectations. And to do that, you have to navigate a very long, very frustrating season at times. And to keep people engaged all the time is, is really hard. Um, so it requires you, you know, leadership requires you to make the difficult decisions to make people upset, to tell people what they don't want to hear. Um, yeah. Because, you know, you want them to get to the end of the season and be in, in, in walk away. They might have had a bad meet the first meet, might have had a bad prep league meet. But you don't want them to walk away from states going, I had a really bad state. Um, you know, you want them to be prepared and ready to go. Yeah, no. And it's funny that you say that because in the podcast, not in this episode, but in a previous one, I spoke about how coaches have to make hard decisions and ethical dilemmas and exactly what you were saying, like telling kids that um, those hard things that they don't want to hear is definitely something that coaches have to go through that they might not think about if they aren't educated on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really great to hear. Um, I noticed that you talked a lot about like commitment, determination, and like focus. Um, and I was wondering what ways do you f- help your athletes focus during practice? Well, one thing we've always tried to do is each week, you know, there's a certain theme to what we're doing, whether it be mm-hmm. a certain stroke, a certain distance, uh, a certain technique. Uh, that we're, we're trying to press on the swimmers uh, and to get them to kind of improve and, and build on that because there's so much of each week builds on each week. And it, it kind of comes to this big crescendo right before prep. And then we enter into taper um, ready for states. So you have to have ways of keeping them engaged, understanding what they're working towards and understanding like you can't take a week off right? Everything builds on everything. Um, yeah. You know, I can miss a soccer practice here or there. It wasn't a big deal. 
uh, you miss you miss a you know two three practices. You might have missed the big thing we were going over that week. That could be the difference between getting a state cut or getting into finals, you know, or making the A relay. Uh, so you you have to again. It goes back to you just have to be very clear with the kids on what the goals are, what we're working towards. Yeah. No, completely. Um, so as a leader, how do you address the physical, social, and psychological environments of your athletes? You know, physically, it's it's pretty straightforward. You know, um, you have to come to practice. You have to lift weights. You know, you have to put in the work of, you know, daily applying yourself to get better. If it says sprint, you sprint. If it says, mm-hmm. you know, only breathe this amount of times, only breathe this amount of times. If it says this is the particular technique we want to see, you make it work there. You don't cut corners. Um, You know, if you're lifting, engage, engage with lifting, try to get better. Don't come in every week and just throw the same weight up. You're not going to be better. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, from a a psychological aspect, it differs on the kid. Um, You know, it's one of those unique sports where, um, especially at the high school level, I've got kids that, are gonna go be four-year college athletes for a top program. I've got kids that go swim a D3 school. Kids that are engaged as good swimmers, they're going to swim club in college. Other kids that, you know, they need a sport to pick up. They're pretty good summer league kids. And, you know, you need to help get them to the to kind of a top level with some of those uh higher end swimmers. And yeah. got other kids that are just, you know, they heard it was fun, they want to do it. So your approach kind of changes, you know, your psychological approach changes depending on the kids. Um, You know, a kid that's not, swimming's not their thing. It's just the sport they're doing in the winter. They enjoy it. They might do in the summer. You know, they are going to need a lot more instructional feedback. Okay, what did I do wrong here? What Because they're not getting that sort of feedback at summer league practice. Summer league practices are kind of a zoo at times. So many kids in there. There's such a limited amount of time that they're looking for more instructional. What do I do here? What do I do with this? And then at the other end, surprisingly, right, you take you take a, a high-end swimmer, you know, that that's going to sign, you know, with a Notre Dame or a Florida State. And the thing that's always shocked me is they don't need a ton of technique advice. They need tweaks here or there. Uh, yeah. They're in great physical shape. More often than not, and I don't know if this is a USA swimming phenomenon, they lack confidence. Yeah. I think, you know, part of that, just they're, they're a number I've seen, I've gone to USA meets and watched the coaches interact with them and the coaches literally, you know, there's no good job, this good job, that um, it's just kind of like, well, here, this is what you did and you need to fix this here. It's all very technical advice. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they'll go to the block. It's just more technical advice. And a lot of times these kids just needed to be sat down and told, you're really good, right? You're a phenomenal swimmer. You make me proud. Um, You can get out there, go out there and, you know, just, you know, swim like you've never swam before and just beat everybody. Um, You know, I I, I hate to kind of reveal names here, but I will for a second. Yeah. You know, I saw this with Sydney a lot. Sydney needed to be told Sydney's phenomenal swimmer. And I'm probably one of the best I've coached. Um, and it was very similar kind of her, her predecessor, the closest I can come to a, a previous swimmer to being like Sydney was Kate Nesbitt. 
And yeah, very much. They didn't need technique. Yeah, you could give them a little technique advice here. They just needed to be told that they could go out and beat the people they were against because they'd seen these people so often at USA meets and gotten beat a few times. They just needed the confidence to get out there and do it. Uh, yeah. Go out there and just, you know, blow everybody out of the water. It was, it was something incredible to see. Um, I, I can't say like with the guys, you know, with the guys team, especially like the A relays, you know, the advice I give them, it's, it's, it's definitely not PG rated at times, um, but it worked. It got them pumped up. They needed yes. a bravado to get them to go up and, and swim their best. No, definitely. And I completely agree with like everything you've said. Um, the one thing that you didn't talk about, but I will touch on a little right now is uh, the social aspect. But I feel like with swimming, um, a lot of people, especially in high school, join it because of social reasons and join um, summer league because of social reasons. And I think with like the sport just comes the social mm -hmm. aspects and environments. Um, but how would you say youth athletes differ in the way you lead compared to your summer league coach? And how about the way you coach them? So just to clarify, so the difference between say coaching my, my winter team and my summer league team. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in, in I'll touch on the social aspect here. So, mm -hmm. so looking at, at the high school team, the high school has such a unique makeup. Um, when I first started coaching at Trinity, we maybe had like 10 kids that were at our practices because the USA swimmers only needed to make one a week and me count is that. And I remember walking to my first meet and I'd have these 10 kids I would see every day, every day at practice. And I walked to the meet and literally 80% of the team I'd never seen before in my life because yeah. your USA team's doing their own thing. So that was always a big bridge for us to connect socially. How do you go about finding ways to build this community? Um, nowadays, it's kind of the opposite. We have a lot more kids that are with us five days a week versus USA swimmers, but you have to bridge that gap. And I think part of that is developing um, events that build the team, you know, whether it be little social events where we get together, but big things we've honestly found, and it seems rather simple, uh, was overnights. We yeah. Make sure we do at least one or two overnights a year. Um to take the team on the road. They get to spend a night in the hotel with everybody, get to know everybody, build up those bonds. And there's a lot of kids that have come back in particular. One meet we've started doing, uh, we've done it for like six or seven years now is Woodbury forest up in Madison does an overnight NCAA meet where you, know, you do the first half of the meet on the Friday night, you come back and do the second half of the meet on a Saturday and they swim their normal high school events, but they also have those, those college events that they're not exposed to thrown and, and they get to choose and swim more events and, and they really get to push themselves. And, you know, there's something about being on the road away from home in the hotel, you know, swimming, challenging themselves and just, you know, interacting with each other that creates this team bond that is just uh, really life-changing. A lot of kids will say at the end of the season, you know, they didn't really like swimming. They weren't sure they were going to do it again, again, but when they got to go to Woodbury, that was the moment that it really clicked for them. Um, you know, I have other swimmers where, you know, Woodbury was very important to them, but then they got to go to States, right. And they got to the environment at States and experience that. 
where they're on the road for three days in hotels, really, you know, building bonds with teammates, eating with them three meals a day, you know, swimming twice a day at the pool and just a celebration and the travel back and forth. And that really kind of builds, builds, you know, a lot of camaraderie with the team. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that, you know, we have our different themes each and every year uh, for the team, but really the kind of the underlying theme that always goes along with it is we're a family, right? Yeah. We always kind of come back, you know, we, we have an alumni meet every year and former swimmers come back and it shows to the kids that like, this is not just something you do. And then when the season's over, you go away or you just graduate and you're done. Like you are always part of the team. And I will always to this day, I will tell kids stories in, in pre-game or pre-meet speeches. We're all talk about, you know, I remember this meet five years ago and, you know, Aiden was the anchor and he had to run down this kid and it was just amazing to watch. And, you know, they, they, they hear these names and realize that they're, they're, they're not isolated in time. They're not just the 2021 Trinity swim team. They're part of a much larger thing here. Right. Yeah. They're part of this long tradition of, of family and excellence that is a force to be reckoned with the state. And they really buy into that. Now with summer league, you know, you kind of have a little different, unique, you know, uh, problem because you have kids at one end of the spectrum that are 18 years old, right. And an eight, and a senior swimmer, they fall into the classic trap of, you know, they'll show up for their six meets. They may come to practice. They may not. Uh, and then at the other end, you have like, you know, kids as young as three, four years old coming in, never really swam before, maybe took some lessons and they're really learning the sport and trying to have fun. So you try to generate ways where you're really challenging kids at the same time, teaching them a lot, but really getting to have fun. But also, you know, it's really hard to, you know, I can teach or I can explain the goal to my Trinity swimmers of we're going out, we're going to compete, we're going to win and winning and losing matters. Right. Mm-hmm. Try that with a summer league yeah. team. It's really <laughs> hard to explain to a summer league team that, you know, you know, winning the the Tuesday night meet against Hampton park really matters. Um, <clears throat> so what you try mm-hmm. to do is, is you try to create kind of connections between different levels and, and, and not let people become com- compartmentalized. So one thing we like to do, and I start this with my seniors, is they get a buddy that's a mini mite or a mite, depending on the size of the team. Mm-hmm. And the mini mite you know, gets to know, and the, the seniors will make uh, you know, posters and, and candy for the kid before the meet. And they'll, they'll walk them and make sure they get checked in for their events. And they'll cheer for them on the side. And then the little kids will literally, you know, even though they're done by backstroke and the meet goes on until 10 o'clock and they could be home in bed at 730. They're begging mom and dad, let me stay up. Let me stay up. Let me watch Cameron swim. Let me watch Matt swim. I want to watch the relays and they'll stick around. And you build those good memories where, you know, then they begin to see themselves as part of a tradition and they want to be part of it and have fun and, you know, build up that community. Yeah, no, um, that's really interesting that you say that because a lot of I haven't seen that in summer leagues before, but I think that's such a great idea. I, I love that. Um, so how do you motivate your athletes? And if you have an example, could you give me one? So how you motivate them? Uh, it depends on what we're doing. Again, the way I'm going to motivate a kid prior to say, can you hear me? 
Yeah. I didn't, I was worried I minimized my screen there. Um, it, yeah. it just depends on where we're at in the process. You know, motivation before competition is going to be a lot different than motivation in a practice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but it's always helpful for the kids to have some sort of long-term goal. With my summer league kids, it might be as simple for a mini my coach. I want to go the whole time without stopping. And so yeah. you constantly push and work on that. You make sure you're engaged with them at the meet. That they know you're there. You're behind the blocks cheering them on. That you're watching them the whole time and you're ready to meet them at the end. Um, for as the kids get older and they get more confident, they want to make champs, right? So you always put, mm-hmm. you're always tracking them. You're always kind of showing them like, hey, here's where you're at. Here's what you need to do to get better. Um, you know, for high school, it's kind of the same thing. It's it's for it's always state. They always want to go to state. So you work and say, okay, hey, if you want to get to state and you want to go in this, here's what we need to start doing to get there, right? And you always have them have a long-term goal in mind, but also short-term goals that build towards that long-term goal to keep it. No, yeah, that's um, one really good aspect of coaching. And I was wondering, do you make goal-making like every year with all of your athletes a priority? It might be not a formal process per se. Um, You know, a lot of times with our younger kids, you know, on a summer league team, it's a great sort of a rainy day. We'll take them inside the clubhouse we'll give them a piece of paper and we'll say, Hey, write it down. What do you, what do you want to do? What's your goal for this season? Or what are you mm-hmm. set three and have that reminder. And then one thing we like to do is, you know, they get ribbons after every meet and run right back into practice. The next meet, we just have a practice where, you know, the coaches sit down and the kids are all sitting there at practice. And, you know, ideally we like to have everybody there the mini mites, the mites, the midgets, the juniors, the intermediates, the seniors, everybody's there. And we call out each ribbon. And for kids that are like typically mites and mini mites, where sometimes even midgets, depending on, on the team, where if they didn't get any sort of ribbon, we'll find out like where they got a personal best. And we'll write, you know, we have special ribbons we give for them, like a goal setting ribbon. And they get called up in front of the team. Like so-and-so did this. And then so-and-so got these in these events and scored these. And it really helps them because then people get to know one another on the team and they get yeah. to, you know, they enjoy the praise. Like I had a parent come up to me one time and they said, we wish you could see what we see at your little ribbon things. And I said, well, what do you mean? They're like, you know, you call the kid up and they're kind of shy and they're not smiling. But they said when they walk away, they're beaming. And they love that. Uh, and it keeps a lot of them engaged for high school. Again, it's always, you know, uh, looking at personal bests. Uh, you know, we always try to, in some form or fashion, it may not be a newsletter each week. Sometimes it's a swimmer of the week that we email out in our weekly emails. Uh, it's always recognizing each meet, the swimmers that got new cuts. Uh, and, and that helps kind of, you know, keep kids motivated. Yeah. So how would you describe your coaching style with your athletes or like decision-making process? So there are just certain things, um, it just, it depends on the situation. Uh, you know, there, if we're going into say an opening meet or a meet where we're, we're not necessarily swimming 
the top teams, we might be a little more lenient in allowing kids to have an input into what they're swimming. But you get into, say, a River City meet where you're swimming a St. Catharines, a collegiate, or the, the VPL LIS, and it's, it's literally a pretty much known that, like, we are putting you where we think you are in the best position to score the most points. It might not be your favorite event. It might not be your best event. But based on what we're seeing, you know, in our planning out for this meet and strategizing, this is where strategizing, this is where we need you. Yeah. And, so, you know, we exert more control there. Um, but even then, there, there are still sometimes, like, we've, we've been getting ready for state, and we're not sure what we're going to do with a kid. Like, they could score here. They could score there. They might do a little bit of here, but we're not sure. And it's really sitting down and talking to the athlete and going, okay, you tell us what you feel confident in. You tell us what you feel comfortable in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. We're going to make the call. Um, we've also, at times, you know, we'll have our idea of how to set up a relay. And then the kids will come to us, right, you know, early on. They'll look at it. They're like, hey, we understand why you did this. But, like, we feel that, like, right now this is where we're going to hit cylinders if you move this around yeah and willing to you know kind of adapt there for them so for the next question i was wondering how would you define winning and would you involve your team in helping you define that for them so kind of like goals in a way how you were talking about like you let them define their personal goals but do you let them define your team goals as well yeah absolutely um you know that is one of the things that we try to sit down with the captains and discuss before the season starts. Like, what are our goals? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, winning is important, but I'm not going to set unrealistic expectations and I'm not going to let swimmers set unrealistic expectations on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not going to come up every year and go, we're going to win prep. We're going to win state. Sometimes that's just not in the card some years and that's okay. For example, last year, you know, I remember I wrote at the beginning of the season, I said, you know, my prediction for our boys would be like 11th in the state. And I think I had our girls placed at like eighth. Mm-hmm. Our boys just swam, even though it was, it was a very small group. I mean, they swam lights out at state and ended up taking fourth overall. Wow. And, um, you know, with our girls, they, they came in and finished fifth overall. Mm-hmm. So you always want to seek input from the kids because, you know, if if you have this unrealistic expectation, right, you can become a slave to that. You can essentially look at everything through the lens of, well, we didn't win prep league. We didn't win states. Therefore, the whole season is a disaster. Yeah. fact is, you know, the kids will sense that because you'll just become frustrated. They'll become frustrated uh, with the process as well. But when you can sit down and guide them and help them pick goals that are going to be difficult, but are achievable, you know, there's a, there's, there's definitely kind of more motivation to achieve that. Um, and there's a lot greater satisfaction in, in understanding what winning is because we might not win at the top of the, the, you know, scoreboard at the end of the day, but if we went out and achieved what we set out to do, that's all we can ask for ourselves. And that, that really is where winning comes in. I'm not expecting kids to win every race. I'm not expecting them to win every title. What I am expecting them to do is set goals for themselves to work hard towards those goals and to be able to look themselves and each other in the eye 
at the end of the season and say they did everything they could to achieve that goal. Yeah, that's that's a really great thing that you do. And a lot of other coaches that um, work in the field actually do that as well. And they um, want their athletes to try their best and be hard workers. And I think that's a great quality to have as a coach. Um, so this is one last question. Yeah. Uh, but if a conflict were to come up during a practice, how would you best handle that? It depends on where the, from, from where the conflict arises. I mean, there's a lot of times that, you know, we as coaches will get into disagreements over different things. And what we try to do is you always look at it. Is it something that needs to be addressed immediately or is it something that we can address after practice? You know, is it an issue that, that the kids are aware of? Is it an issue that we just are dealing with as coaches? If it's something that the kids don't need to be made aware of, it can wait till after practice. We handle it internally as coaches. It's only when something is a conflict that needs to be addressed immediately and it's public, you know, the team is aware of it, that you do, you stop things in and address it. Mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, uh, you know, you try to respect, you know, people's, you know, privacy uh, and you try to kind of discipline in private and praise in public um, and, and try to overcome conflicts that way. Uh, you know, there are times, in, and this gets into the social aspect, right? Yeah. 15, 16, 17, 18 year old teenagers that are still navigating the, you know, dare I say, terrible adolescent years where they're trying to figure out who they are and they're constantly changing and they're trying to deal with, you know, everything from the challenges of school to the challenges of finding who they are, getting to college and dealing with, you know, all sorts of bodily changes, there's going to be friction. Um, yeah. And so you have to always gauge, you know, where is the conflict originating from? Who's it between? Is it something that the team knows about? Is it something the team needs to know about? Yeah. And you address it, you know, appropriately depending on the level of the conflict. Yeah. So for everyone at home, I want you to guess what Tim's main coaching style is after hearing what he's had to say. Remember, the top three are command, cooperative, and submissive. Thank you so much, Tim, for joining me today. Yeah, I really no appreciate problem. you. Thanks again to Coach Tim Johnson for joining me on today's podcast and everyone listening at home right now. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks. See you guys next time on The Co-op. Thank you so much for listening to The Co-op today. If you would like to learn more, please join me next week. I hope everyone has a great day. Bye.